Hey, this is Mike from EpicMarketer.com. I wanted to let you know that the episode you're about to listen to is from our archives and a podcast that I did called the Internet Marketing Podcast back in 2013. You'll notice that we reference the domain Mike'sPodcast.com, which I no longer own, but I still wanted to make sure that you had access to some of the great content and interviews from this session. So if you need anything in the future, please visit EpicMarketer.com. Thanks so much and enjoy the podcast. Hey, this is Mike Cowles. Welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast. Today I'm going to be having a conversation with one of my favorite marketers, James Schramko from SuperFastBusiness.com. And today's topic is Mindset. You're listening to the Internet Marketing Podcast with your host, Mike Cowles. Hey, this is Mike Cowles from Mike'sPodcast.com. And today I have the privilege of having on one of my favorite marketers. Uh, This is a guy that uh, I really look up to a lot and just really respect and relate to a lot to. And uh, his name is James Shramko. James, how are you doing, bud? Doing very well. Thank you, Mike. Excellent. Well, uh, one of the things I really like about you is uh, just your mindset and your attitude. It's it's almost kind of stellar because you come across as really relaxed, but you're like a locomotive with the business, man. <laughs> so uh, I think I am actually pretty relaxed. So uh, you know, <laughs> I'm just being myself. Sure, sure. Um, I remember I was listening to. I think you were talking to Dan from uh, Lifestyle Business, and uh, and you'd mentioned that you put out i think it was around three thousand uh posts in like seven months or nine months is that right easily yeah i've i've got a couple of communities and i'm also a member of a few other communities and forum marketing has been one of my long-term strategies because it's mm-hmm. got so many elements around helping you understand your market and i find it enjoyable to post in these so it's something i do every single day and have done almost since the time i started online so there's no doubt i've racked up thousands and thousands of posts yeah well uh i'll tell you one of the things that i noticed uh my sister was actually we talked a little bit about this before uh we jumped on the call but uh, my sister was the one who told me about you and the way she described you was she said um He's a guy who does internet marketing, but what he does differently than all the other guys is he really treats it like a business. And uh, I remember thinking, hmm, okay, that sounds kind of interesting. And uh, as soon as I started listening to your podcast, um, I noticed that you weren't just teaching. You were saying, hey, here's how to do it. I can show you for free right now, uh, tell you all the, the core elements, or you could buy my product where I'll show you hand by hand or step by step, whatever, or our team can do it for you. And uh, I just thought, what a great concept, because I know for for me personally, I've talked to a lot of different marketers, and one of the challenges is uh, just mindset for a lot of people. If they're not technical, they'll get stuck on that, or if they're shy, they won't make videos or whatever it is. So you know, to be able to say, hey, I'll teach you how, or our team will do it for you, it's just such a great solution. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and there's like there's really three ways that work well. There's the I'll teach you how to do it so you can do it yourself. So that's the DIY market we're very familiar with, especially with renovation shows popular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then there's the 
done for you, like just hands off, give give me some money and I'll do it for you, which is great. But there's the one in the middle, which is really popular, especially with my community, and that's um, we do it. And that's where we sit down and do something together. So it's not just teaching them how to do it and leaving them to their own devices. And it's not just doing it for them, but it's a combination of, you know what, we'll talk about it and then we'll actually do it together. And then now you know how to do it. Right. But if, you know, we're sort of, they're getting that partial, a little bit of each. And I absolutely think that a huge mistake people make is actually trying to learn how to do things they shouldn't even learn in the first place. More people should be taking done for you solutions. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, uh, I do coaching as well. And, uh, you know, I, I have people come in and they're like, great, should I learn how to do HTML or should I learn how to do programming or should I buy Photoshop? And <laughs> I'm always like, you know, no, don't do that. It's, it's so inexpensive to outsource stuff. And it's so easy now to outsource, uh, even if you don't have a team, you know, whether it's hiring somebody on Fiverr to do a graphic or hiring a, you know, a single person from the Philippines as a part-time VA and just say, you know, okay, you have to have good English and be uh, good with HTML just so I don't have to learn this stuff. Then you can focus on, you know, the, your actual market and providing value and things like that instead. Well, for a lot of people, that's a great way to avoid having to do anything is to be very busy yes learning photoshop or building a website and i certainly made this mistake when i started i was obsessed with learning how to build a website which turned out to slow my progress and i was also delaying buying information products because i wanted to teach myself it's just the most expensive (laughs) and difficult way to do it (laughs) as soon as i bought an ebook i think one of the first ebooks i bought was something called the rich jerk oh yeah which older people online for longer will remember that one yeah I read it and I was doing three quarters of it and I'm like, God, I could have just bought this and learnt this straight away <laughs> instead of trying to figure it out for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. So uh, so that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up as far as just kind of the, the having the wrong mindset when you got started. And, you know, for for anybody that's heard your name or your show or, you know, seen your sites or anything, they know that I could probably talk to you about a hundred different topics and be here all night and for me, you know, I heard uh, actually Dan talking about it from a lifestyle uh, business was saying that he doesn't understand why more people aren't um, inter- interviewing you to kind of figure out what makes you tick. And to me, that's uh, kind of topic number one I want to talk with you about is just how do you uh, make your decisions and kind of keep your mindset in the right place and bounce back from, you know, struggles or challenges or frustrations or whatever. Um, so I guess the place to start is, have you always kind of been, you know, driven in this way where you kind of have your, your focus set up or was it something you gradually did or it was an overnight change for you or what? It was a fairly sudden change because Mm. when I grew up, we, I was in a good household, great mum and dad and a sister. We were a wealthy family in a top suburb in Sydney and I went to a a really expensive school. My parents had luxury cars and we lived in a huge mansion. So life was pretty easy for me. I had loving parents. And so I don't have any of the old park bench, abandoned home, abusive background stories that you might hear from people who are successful. What happened was 
my parents, uh, my, my dad lost his job and they lost all of their income and then they had to sell the house and sell the car and I got pushed out to live in my grandfather's backyard. Mm. So I had this sudden realisation that I wasn't going to inherit millions of dollars and I suddenly had this need to be responsible. In <laughs> fact, I had to go and get a job and now I was paying for the family groceries. So it was a overnight change How in old responsibility. How old were you then, James? I uh, would have been around about 18 or 19. Okay. So, you know, I was I was that cocky teenager who really didn't assert... I didn't really apply myself. Mm-hmm. I failed my school certificate and I didn't qualify for anything at university except food technology, which is kind of <laughs> like how to make peanut butter or whatever. And it didn't appeal to me and it was a long way away. The, the only university that would accept me was so far away that it was unappealing. So I mm. st- started a, a course in accounting which wasn't a university course. It was sort of like a, they call it TAFE here, but anyway, it's kind of like a, not quite university, but it's an associate diploma. And I really didn't get into that accounting too much. So it's kind of good that I had to go and get a job, but it was this huge shift in responsibility. And I fairly soon from that, from the age of 20, I met my wife and we ended up getting married at 23. And our first child was due at, 24 like one year after we got married and that's when the pressure was on so i'd say from that point on in a career or work wise i didn't even have a choice to slack off or to coast or to follow my passion all these things that we hear these wonderful amazing stories you can go and do anything and be anything i just i was locked in i was stuck on that train track of one destination which was i had to feed three people Mm. And it was quite a serious situation and one that I really applied myself to. But luckily, I was able to draw from my sporting side of things because even though I wasn't academic, I did pursue the sport of sailing from the time I was about seven or eight. And I worked my way right through to, by the time I was in my early 20s, I came second in the world titles. So I knew what it took to win and that was something that didn't involve study or work. It was strategy. It was physical. It was uh, performance-oriented. And it brought out my natural competitive streak. Mm-hmm. And I applied that to selling, which was my newfound job, <laughs> when I had to make all this money. And it just took off. From that point, I started having some really good wins. That's awesome. You know, I, I can relate to that as far as uh, some of the struggles and just kind of being thrust. I was uh, 18 myself, uh, actually 17 when I was uh, kind of put out on my own. And uh, for me, it was because of my bad choices. I used to be a, a, a drug addict when I was younger. But, um, you know, I didn't graduate from high school either. And I went to uh, college for a, <laughs> about two semesters paying for it myself. And I was like, you know, I don't know if this is the way to make money or not. <laughs> And uh, really just uh, went out there and had like three jobs uh, just to get going. And, um, you know, so amazing how much easier it is now with the Internet to, to make money. But um, so, OK, so so I remember, you know, hearing that you started out. Um, I think I forget where you were talking at, but you actually said that you started out doing a, a lawn care business. And it, I was laughing as I was hearing the story because I did the exact same thing I had uh three kids at the time 
and um, you know, you knock on the neighbor's door and say, "Hey, you know, they just got their lawn done. Would you like me to do yours?" And you know, you get the whole uh, smaller lawns to do and everything. And then, like you said, either the season changes or somebody buys the development or the property or whatever, and it's like, ah, don't have all your eggs in one basket. So what, yeah, what they wiped me out. Go this ahead. developer bought the whole street where I had all my lawns <laughs> except for a couple and. It wasn't worth the petrol to drive to the other suburbs where I had these satellite lawns, you know, just a single lawn, like six suburbs away. It wasn't worthwhile. Right. So uh, what do you think uh, as far as going from, you know, I know you were, uh, it was a Mercedes-Benz dealership and you were really successful with that. Uh, What made you want to get out of that and get into internet marketing? Mostly I blame you guys. Uh, with your subprime lending market collapsing, mm. I could see a economic problem coming, uh, f- you know, from far away. Because I was actually so connected with the U.S. market, with Facebook and Twitter and and customers, I could see this before a lot of people in Sydney. And Australia has a pretty good economic climate compared to the Europe or to the U.S. But I could see this was a problem for the luxury car market. I'm in the highest end of the product spectrum in the highest job that I can have other than being an owner on the highest salary in the country Mm. and there's economic cloud coming so that that made me concerned I've got a single income one person pays me the entire salary which feeds six people and fuels our mortgage Mm. so I really had to ramp up the affiliate marketing and I had a few glimpses that it was going to be possible I was already making about $150,000 a year from my affiliate marketing, which for many people would be enough to live off, but not for me with six people in Sydney, where the average home costs a million dollars. And you just can't live off $150,000 in the center of Sydney with a family of six if you want to you know, retire rich. So I figured that I need to have multiple people paying me an income to protect me from being in this compromised situation and I had these flashbacks of my own father I didn't want to go home to my kids and say kids uh, we've run out of money we're going to have to sell the house and mm. we're all going to move to grandma's house you know, that would have been a real blow to my pride right so I think I worked extra hard to protect them from that scenario and that's why I've been so broad with my online business I started to build new businesses all the time and grow them up to be profitable because I just have this built-in um, dislike of being single source dependent for my income. And I was very motivated by reading business books and learning about being an entrepreneur and then mixing with people who were making a lot more money than I was who didn't really seem to be any smarter or you know, if you cut them, I'm sure they still bleed blood. They weren't some <laughs> kind of alien or super species. Right. But I sat on the plane next to people who were making $100,000 a month. And they would look at me and they'd say, why are you wasting away in that job when you've got all this talent and you should be building your own business? And I really didn't have an argument for that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a book, I think it's called The Millionaire Next Door. And they, they talk about that, how like... I think it's a little bit over 60% of the self-made millionaires don't have a college degree and around 40% don't even have a high school degree. And like when they do like IQ tests and stuff, it's, it's not that they're extremely intelligent. It's, it's their mindset, you know, 
And just like that, that person on the plane or the people that, that, that were telling you, you know, why are you wasting your time? It's, you know, you, you have to, once you see it, for most people, I think they're, they're kind of motivated by fear too much of, well, I've got a good job or, you know, I'm comfortable or whatever, instead of looking ahead, like you said, seeing that cloud coming and saying, you know what, it's, it is stupid. There, there are a lot of people that lose their job or if they get sick or injured or whatever, you know, they don't have anything to cover themselves. Well, you're totally right about when I look at the top 200 richest people in Australia, more than half of them didn't finish university. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, a huge proportion of them have about four or five children. <laughs> so I think a lot of them got used to being responsible and having to provide and just that locked them out of being able to freewheel around the world with a backpack. Yeah. We yeah. all want to work the four-hour work week, but it's you know not really that practical when you when you mature up a little bit and you have a family and you start to want to have a nice clothing or car or whatever i think that that is going to force you into something a little more long term and sustainable and i think you're also right about fear it's absolutely about fear fear is what holds most people back mhm and for for a lot of people it's kind of interesting i'd like to hear your take on it but Sometimes it's not the uh, the fear of failure as much as the fear of success. Like the the media, you know, a lot of times will have the rich guy be the evil guy, or you know, uh, have people feel like that's uh, selfish if you've got a lot of money or that kind of thing. And I don't know. What do you, do you do? You personally, do you struggle with uh, fear of success or fear of failure, or you don't really deal with either one of those? It's other fears or what? Well, I've become more fearless. I'm not afraid of dying. I've lived a fantastic, rich, and full life. See, I didn't want to tiptoe to get to death safely, which a lot of people do. They shouldn't be scared of what could happen to them. They should be scared of wasting their life. So I've probably just bundled up a few quotes there. I don't know who to attribute them to, but this is definitely the mindset core. I'm like, I have jumped out of a plane more than once. I've gone down steep mountains on my mountain bike. I've jumped into canyons in Belize. Like, I will tackle some challenges because I'm not scared that things could go that wrong if I factor in the, you know, what's the worst case scenario and work back from that. I think the worst case scenario is that I would regret not having done it or, or think that, you know, I'm not actually living. I, I used to feel like I wasn't living when I was jammed behind a desk taking orders from people and getting paid by one person who I couldn't really tell you know, them what I really thought because they'd just give me the sack. Right. <laughs> so being fearless is a great way to move forward. Like what are people so scared of? The, people are going to say nasty things. They are going to troll you or, or cut you down, especially in Australia actually. We don't have the same celebrity phenomenon that you have. You, <laughs> you revere successful people and, and put them on a pedestal. Here, we chop them down. It's actually called the <laughs> tall poppy syndrome. So we actually have more of that than, than what you have. And that doesn't bother me at all. My f- personal uh, perspective on this is that the more wealth that I can create, the more people that I can support. If I create more value, then I'm helping more people. I mean, I directly help nearly 100 families put food on the table through my own business. 
I indirectly help thousands because we serve businesses who are more successful than if they didn't deal with us, and they serve customers. So potentially, it's tens of thousands of people that we help through our ideas and then going to work. Now, if I'm not drawing down from our social security system, then I think that's better for society. If I can bring in you know, a million dollars tax for Australia and help pave roads and pay for police and look after some elderly people who are on a pension, I can feel damn good about that. And if my kids don't have to wake up wondering if they'll be fed today, then I think that that's a great thing to believe in. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that your change in mindset uh, was kind of abrupt. Would you say that you kind of adopted this whole fearless, hey, let's, you know, if if it's worth doing, just do it uh, mindset back when you were 18 or 19? Or was it when you were at the dealership or another time? It took me a little while. Uh, my first really pushy job was debt collection. And then from there, I went into sales, which was sort of a similar thing, except that they didn't already have the goods and services. So you're still asking people for money, but now they they got something worthwhile for it at the same time. <laughs> Whereas with debt collections, it's kind of a tough sale. They already got it. Now, they just, now you just got to get the money. And I... Within the first year of selling, I came first in the whole country for BMW, which was my first dealership. And it took me a while for that to really sink in. And I almost didn't believe that that was possible because it was so quick and so successful. When I was only 23 or 24 now, and everyone told me that uh, it's not possible. And Mm. I outsold everyone else in my whole dealership put together. So it was just an, it was an extraordinary achievement. And I didn't really believe that it was just me. I thought maybe it's the product, maybe it's the location of the dealership. And when I went to Mercedes-Benz to sell, within 12 months, I was the top Mercedes-Benz salesperson in the whole country. And that's when I started to believe that I was good. <laughs> and then that after that, that, I got promoted. In the room, and it's like maybe, yeah. maybe I'm not alone in this. Maybe room. it wasn't me. You know, I I wanted to. I didn't want to be deluded. I've seen people get overconfident and think that they're special when they're clearly not. And I didn't want that to be me. And right. then when I went to the sales management role, I won the sales manager of the year a couple of times. I should have won it three times, but the third time I got denied that role because. I'll quote you this, he's won it too many times. And I absolutely hate that attitude of communism. You know, everyone should have a fair turn or whatever. If I'm the best, I should have won that prize. So I was a bit bitter about that. Yeah. But my salespeople who I was hiring and training who had never had sales experience were now the number one salespeople in Mercedes-Benz. That's when I really recognized I've got a talent at this. It's something I'm good at. And I took acknowledgement for that win. So what do you think helped you out the most in, uh, in sales for that? Being a problem-solving machine, I was always focused on the customer, not my commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've, I've done sales myself, and I've always done really well as well. And it's, it's that mindset that I think is the, uh, the common denominator for great salespeople is when you 
you know, I mean, you have to, of course, be aware of, you know, your quota, or your sales or whatever. But but if that's your focus, then you can come across as either needy or pushy or whatever. And if you just trust the fact that, hey, you know, we're in business, people are going to come in and, you know, if you try to help them and give them the most, uh, you know, best information that they can and help them steer them in the right direction, it's always going to work out. It's always going to work out for the best. And it, it's amazing how it, it's that whole, the more you give, the more you get, but you can't kind of treat it like I'm giving to get. Like, I, I don't know if you've heard of that philosophy, that marketing, give to get marketing. I, I think it's give to live marketing because, you know, you'll just live a better life. You'll be happier. It's not the second I hand you something, you're going to hand me something back. But the more you give, it's true. The more it comes back to you. And especially with uh, when you're dealing with whether it's customers one-on-one like that or in our case where, you know, we can talk to hundreds or thousands of people. The more you give, the more you're upfront saying, hey, listen, you know, I could charge for this, but I really just want to make sure that you have the absolute best information possible to help you get started. And hopefully we'll have a long relationship based on that. Yeah, I think there's a great book about this called The Go-Giver. And the bottom line is you can't give out without getting back. It's like trying to breathe out without breathing in again and until maybe if you die, of course. But if you if you breathe out and try and hold that, eventually you breathe back in. Like the more you put out, the more will come back. But it may not come straight back where you put it. That's the thing that may really help me. I might help 100 people and none of them would buy something, but then... I'd sell 100 other people. Maybe someone else put all that time and effort into test driving them and pricing up their car, and then they'd come to me and buy. So I didn't expect it to come directly back from the same place I put it, but I knew that through some karma or law of the universe that if if I did keep contributing value, it did seem to come back. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you were in the dealership, I mean – in or especially being a manager, being a manager of the year and everything else, um, you had a lot of plates to spin and a lot of hats to wear and a lot of time to put in. I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this and they're thinking, now wait, you uh, you were an affiliate marketer making $150,000 a year while you were doing all that. How did you find the time to do it? What would you say to that question? Well, we all have the exact same time. So we, we have 24 hours in the day. It's the same for me and for you and anyone listening to this. So to paint a picture for you, I had 73 people in my staff. I was running a $50 million a year business. I have four children and a wife, mortgages on more than one property, shares, and I built my own internet business on the side. So I was drawing circa $300,000 a year wage and two company cars plus the 150 and that was still not enough to live off just just to get by you know if you want to get ahead and pay off equity on your house so how do I fit it all in well for a while there I went without a little bit of sleep but I certainly tuned out of silly waste of times like tv shows Mm -hmm. I, I would actually question is watching another episode of this tv show going to change my life significantly Or is there any chance that in a year or two from now, I won't even remember what I'm watching versus investing that time on my business, which has a compound effect. So I learned the law of compound. If I read a business book today that helps me sell better tomorrow and I can increase my conversions and I apply that for the rest of my selling career, would that significantly change my life? And the answer is absolutely it would. Mm -hmm. 
So my first piece of advice for the average listener is if you were to think about this, if you were to pretend that the television, you know, was not actually streaming something, would you would you sit on a couch and stare at the wall for three or four hours yeah. every night? Is that a sensible thing to do? Because that's what most people do. And I think it's an absolute sheer and utter waste of time if you are motivated to go outside the norm. If you want a different life to everyone else, you have to do different things. And if the average person is sitting there with a TV dinner watching crap on television every single night, then you have a significantly better chance of having a, a better lifestyle, but bringing in more income, educating yourself more by diverting that time to either sleeping or or investing something that's going to improve your brain and help optimize that, that neck top computer that we have, all, all of us have, and increase the best asset that you'll ever have in your life. Just work on that brain muscle. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you know, uh, television is the biggest killer. I, I've heard that the uh, the average uh, American watches about six hours of TV a day. Can you imagine if they spent, you know, just half of that working on their business? Well, I don't have to imagine. I've done it, and it works. Yep, yep. So what are some of the books that, uh, that you've – I know you mentioned like Tom Hopkins, and I think you mentioned Zig Ziglar as well, and obviously just talking about the whole – prioritizing you know the 80 20 rule i'm sure you've read uh four hour work week and uh gone through that what are some of the other uh books that you've read that have really helped inspire you with your with your mindset to to focus on things the right way well there's there's thousands so i i think that's a long list (laughs) anything you want to work on (laughs) right now that's where you should start Um, i liked getting everything you can out of all you got by jay abraham that's probably mm. my favorite book, but I have so many favorite books. That's awesome. I actually haven't read Jay. I've, I've heard a lot about him, but I haven't read any of his stuff. In recent books, I would read uh, Willpower, uh, discover, Rediscovering or Discovering the, the Truth About Our Greatest Asset, and I would read the Steve Jobs biography, and I would read The Lean Startup they're three of the books that stand out in the last year. Nice. I've I've heard a few people talking about the Lean Startup as well. What do you think stands out the most to you about that book as far as making it, separating it from all the others? The good thing about that book is that it teaches you a minimum viable product and to not have great ideas and just build these huge complicated things that no one wants or cares for. It forces you to just get started with something small and test it and make sure that it's viable before you scale it up big. So the most important lesson and the one that I've applied to my whole business is small batch sizes. Just do little nibbles of effort and then see what happens. And then that helps you make better decisions because you're working with fact, not theory. I agree 100%. I remember a great example of that that I heard from uh, from Brian Winters was he had an idea for a product. He went on a forum and saw people were talking about it. So what he did was he just made an ad. <laughs> you know, didn't have the product or anything. It had you know an ad with a buy button. He put it together in you know an hour or something. And when people would buy, they'd go to a page. It would say, "Hey, sorry, we're sold out right now, or it's not available right now. But if you'll give us your email address, then we'll let you know as soon as it becomes available again." And uh, Marlon Sanders was one of the guys that saw the ad. 
And I was like, ah, pretty smart, dude. <laughs> yeah, that that concept's been around, I think, from the, the first Frank Kern, Ed Dale um, challenge, or the one they had before yeah. that, Underachievers. Yeah. I think they had flycatcher pages. Yeah, and, and it's really true. I mean, there's so many people that start these uh, these brick-and-mortar businesses, and they take out a loan, and, you know, they're... they're <laughs> it's crazy. I used to go to the Warrior Forum and po- uh, see which was the hottest thread by selecting the thread, uh, the number of posts column, the ones that used to have flames on them, they were on fire, and then I would say, I'm interviewing an expert on this topic, right. what would you ask them? And they'd tell me, and then I'd interview the expert, and then I'd put the Warrior Special Offer in there and make four or $5,000 from it within a week. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So what were some of the uh, kind of techie, not techie, but just uh, tricky, I should say, strategies that um, creative strategies that helped you as an affiliate marketer, like like that one you just gave is a fantastic one for piggybacking on somebody else's experience in an in an area where they already have an, an audience that that trusts them and wants to hear what they have. What are some other creative strategies you've done as as an affiliate that's helped? The best one I think, that, and the longest one that I still do today, is the buy with bonus strategy, and that is mm-hmm. providing extra value for people who buy through your link. And it's been called all sorts of things, hijack or leech or whatever else, or siphon. <laughs> God, everyone's come up with different terms, but when people buy from you, they get a bonus, and that forces you to start thinking about how you can create more value. So it's about value, not a cash rebate or I'll give you an iPad. Those are very weak and silly ways to incentivize someone. That's taking the price path, which is dumb because it cuts your margin. If you create a high-value product and give it away, now that's smart because you can sell that product on its own. So doing that strategy, I was able to leverage up my affiliate business more than anything else because people had a great reason to buy from me instead of any other competitor. It forced me to refine my skills around creating offers and creating information products. And inevitably, people started asking me directly for the bonus. They wanted to buy the bonus without even buying the other product because I had this huge aha moment that the market of people who already have the software that I was selling is actually bigger than the market of people who are buying it. So I should now make this available to everyone as a standalone product. So I independently had an affiliate offer and then I had my own product and my own product and this affiliate bonus thing built me a list of buyers. So my first thousand list of buyers of a $200 product were responsible for my first $100,000. So I I can make $100,000 per thousand people on my list. And if my list is 20 something thousand now, then that's worth millions of dollars to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I have seen that strategy, the whole uh, uh, buy with bonus, not necessarily called that. Uh, guys like Dave Gwinden have done it. Uh, a few people have done it. And um, you're one of the guys that does it really well. And I, I remember listening to, I don't remember who you were talking with. It might have been on uh, Freedom Motion where you were talking about uh, Traffic Grab. And uh, no, it wasn't actually. It was your, your podcast with Dan um, from... Uh, lifestyle business where instead of it being like a $2,000 product, you sold it for, I think 79 bucks. And, um, and I remember going to your site and looking at that buy with bonus and I 
put a, uh, a similar page on uh, my site, on MikeCowles.com. And uh, I just think it's such a great concept. It, it really is because it's it's like you said, it's not just the standard affiliate JV contest. You know, if you sell, you know, 100 of these, we'll give you an iPad or a laptop or whatever. It's it's something that you can give over and over again that's way more valuable than an iPad. You know what I mean? I mean, it, this is like the way for people to get free from their job or whatever it is that they're trying to do with their business, you know? Yeah, it's a, if you can feel good about it. When someone buys through you, they get whatever they were buying plus something from you for free. And the person whose product it is that you're selling as an affiliate is happy because their customer's getting really looked after and nurtured. And you're happy because you make an affiliate commission and it's fully disclosed and everyone's above board about it. There's nothing sneaky or deceptive and you're building a list of buyers. And here's the really good part. You know what they bought. If you know what they bought, you can guess what sort of problems they've got and you can even survey them if you're not sure. But when I was selling website software, I had the perfect customer list who would be buying other things relating to internet marketing. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that is nice. You, now, I remember you were talking about uh, when, with as far as surveys goes, instead of sending out a typical standard survey, you'll just ask people to comment or, you know, uh, leave a Facebook comment, things like that, in order to get their feedback. Do you uh, do you mostly focus on that, or do you still occasionally send out a traditional, whether it's a survey monkey or whatever type survey? You won't get many of those from me. It'd be very rare. <laughs> I, I sent one out to traffic grab buyers because there was 2,500 of them. And it was, hey, look, I'm doing traffic grab version 2. I would like to know what you liked about traffic grab 1. I'd like to know what you would change about it as I've got the opportunity to do that as I'm redoing it. So it's going to a very qualified list of customers and asking for their preferences to help me make a better product. So that was a really good one. But if you read the Steve Job book, you'll realize that a lot of the time there is this huge difference between preference and performance. People say silly things on surveys and then they have no ability to follow through with it. You can't ask someone, you know, would you, do you think we should revolutionize the Walkman and make it into an iPod? They're not really <laughs> going to be able to answer that. He would just make it and then say, you need this. And they'd get it and play with it and go, oh, this is amazing. So they never would have thought to ask. And then there's that quote that's often attributed to Henry Ford, but no one can substantiate, is that you know if he'd asked people what what they'd wanted when there were still horses, they'd say a better horse. You know they wouldn't ask right. for a car. But there's a bit of grey around where that quote came from. But the idea of it is clever, and that is if you're really on top of your market, and this sort of goes back to why I participate in forums, and I really do know the conversations going on in my market. I can show them solutions they don't even know to ask for. And I do that pretty much every month with new products and services. And it will be a collation of the questions we get asked in our support desk, uh, what people are talking about in forums, and the replies that I get to my emails. I have this thing where I reply to my emails. It's such an obvious thing to do <laughs> to show someone that you care about them. What could be better than having a real live customer emailing you with their pressing questions or challenges or concerns so that you can point them in the right direction. And if you don't have the answer, create it. Right, right. It's it's uh, an amazing thing. It's called not being afraid to work, you know? Well, it's called caring. And it's a very rare thing in the guru market. I honestly yeah. think they don't care. 
And I can say this with, with some legitimacy because I do know many of them. And behind the scenes, some of them, certainly not all of them, some of them really don't care about their customers. They're greedy mofos. Right. <laughs> and it's sad and depressing. But you know what? There's people like me and you out there who are happy to, to put out good content and go for the long game and we'll still be around and you'll see their little businesses will crash and burn and a lot of them have hit the wall and they're peddling to do this and that and they re-release things like 20 times. They've run out of innovation. So you've just got to be focused on the customer and they give you all the answers you could ever ask for if you care enough about it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. You know, and I think that when you genuinely care about customers versus you're trying to sound like you care about customers, um, you could do so many things wrong, but they're still going to pick up on that fact. You know, like, I don't know if you've ever heard of a um, podcast answer, man. It's a guy named Cliff, uh, I think Ravenswood is his last name. Super nice guy, you know, gives away a ton of information and he's all, he earns all of his money through affiliate sales and like every single thing that he says it's like the link says this is my affiliate link you know it's like it couldn't be more transparent you know and uh you know you have no problem as uh, one of his listeners buying from him because of his genuine caring and giving up front you know and i mean guys like pat flynn same thing you know uh i like the guys on uh, lifestyle business, you know, like you, I mean, you can just, you can tell it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very genuine, real thing when people care. And, uh, and it's wonderful when that's coupled with being confident that, you know, it's the, it's not just the right thing to do, but it's, what's going to take care of everybody. It's what's going to make the world a better place is by caring about each other. Well, I, I have heard of Cliff and that's because people quote him a lot. And obviously because he creates so much value and is like the founder of the podcasting movement. <laughs> um, I'll give you a couple of examples that really highlight this. One example is that I get people emailing me often saying, I want to buy such and such. Have you got it on your buy with bonus site? So they actually want to buy it through me and they'll hunt me down to look for my affiliate link. Or they'll email me say, do you have an affiliate link for such and such? Like that's that's loyalty and that that is genuine care. And another example of this, and this is how you create this effect, is we've been talking about my first affiliate thing, which I cranked up to a really high level of income, a consistent ten plus thousand dollars a month. I ended up turning off that program because I no longer felt that that solution was the best solution for my customers, even though it was profitable, and for no other reason then I no longer felt that it was the best solution in the market. I turned it off. And I recently did the same thing for another thing that I'm, I was making very good income monthly. I turned it off and started recommending Wistia, which is a video playing solution, which does not have an affiliate program because I sincerely believe that that is the best solution for my customers and the one that I use. And I felt that it was showing integrity to say, well, mm -hmm. I use this and I've stopped using the one that I was recommending before because now that I'm aware of this, it is the best solution. It doesn't even have an affiliate program and I've sent them hundreds and hundreds of customers and I don't mm -hmm. care because my customers are getting such a good product that they feel happy that I recommended it and they'll stick around and find out what else I suggest. Was uh, 
and I'm I'm hearing the discretion in your voice, so I want to respect that. Um, is the uh, the product that we're talking about uh, just a, specifically a video player? The product that that I used to recommend used the S3 as the as the source for the video, and and as I learned about video production and customer situations, I know that that's not the ideal scenario. Because when you're using players like YouTube and Wistia, what they'll do is take your high-quality raw feed and then they'll multi-encode it into every different format, high-definition, low-def. See, I'm in a really slow internet connection where I live, and I'm looking at a different version or a different rendering than someone in a high-definition, high-speed area will look at. And, of course, they'll work on any device. So when you... As a product creator, like you are and I am, if you choose a setting, if you start handbraking a recording and loading it to Amazon S3 and then using a player, you have made a choice on the one format that these people will have to watch it in. And that means some people will have it buffer. You might be showing a lower version than someone would like to see on their Apple TV if they're in a high-speed internet area. That's why I think YouTube for public videos and Wistia for private videos is the absolute best solution now. That's nice. So um, I, I know you uh, you had, for instance, a lead player for a while. Do you see uh, Wistia with all the different tracking and analytics and stats and everything being a better solution? I think, that, do they do heat mapping as well? Wistia? They do. Wistia have better analytics than YouTube, but I still use lead player on my public sites and I highly recommend it for and for the simple reason that it doesn't interfere with YouTube's serving of the video in a, in a negative way it just stops the related ads at the end and and it gives you more control over the look and feel of that player but you're tapping into the social proof and the referral traffic I I know that about 10% of my YouTube views are referrals or you know YouTube search results that are not on my sites so I'm getting more impact for public videos and it makes every single video on my site an opt-in form, which I put at the very end. I'm not trying to interrupt people or grab their details so they can see the rest. I know people do that and that's fine, but it's not my style because nearly, uh, well, two-thirds of the people on my site at Superfast Business have been there before, so they're already on my list. There's no point telling them over and over again. So at the end of the video, I suggest that people join my newsletter. So if I put up a new video every two days or every day, then I'm putting another opt-in on my form, and that is killer. It, it's like my list is quadrupled now. Hmm. That's awesome. So when you were uh – I know you had a, a great strategy as far as the buy with bonus uh, concept for your affiliate programs that you were running when you were working at the um, the car dealership. What was your main focus for uh, for driving traffic? Well, I became a traffic specialist because I'd found a product that I could sell and I felt good about that helped me personally and that that worked. Uh, I built the site. I was getting a lot of traffic from Google SEO results. I, was, I was, became really good at SEO. So I was ranking at the top for all my key phrases. I also tested things like press releases, CPV traffic, PPC traffic. I had um, satellite sites. I replicated my own site and rewrote it and competed with myself. That was a great strategy. Mm-hmm. 
It doubled my business. I started going into single sites that were topic-focused by theme. So I'd pick one feature of the product and make a whole site around that feature. So I specialized it. For example, this software that built websites also had a built-in form builder. So I set up a whole form builder site just targeting form builders and of course it resold the site so i had dozens of sites out the front that were pointing back to this site and i tried all sorts of different paid i had ad bright ads i had uh, seven search i had um, marchex forum marketing video marketing webinars podcasts i mean i just ticked every traffic button that i could find i even had software browser bars from conduit and and software pad up upload files directory (laughs) submissions i mean i could everything you could think of i tried it and tested it and tracked it with for an roi I i think one of the things that people like so much about your style and how you teach is that zero of it is guessing you know you're like hey i i tried it this is a case study this is what works yeah, like every one of my products shows screenshots of my own sites. And so few people, A, sell something that they've ever tested or tried. And B, they want to try and hide it all or keep it all vague. I mean, I, I show them a screenshot. Here is my site. Like you, you can go and look it up and see it. In Traffic Grab that I sold for $79, I gave away my affiliate campaign for Optimized Press, which generated... I, I can't remember the number, but it was more than $10,000. I gave them the exact campaign. I put up the post. I showed them the background analytics. I told them the exact way that I did it and every single piece of it. So they could pick up this and, and it was handed to them on a platter for $79. And from 2,500 sales, I only had three people ask for their money back. And, and that was just because you're always going to have some freaks out there. Right. You know, that that just don't fit the norm. (laughs) But I had a lot of other people, you know, like Ed Dale saying, best info product ever. So I had had a good good feedback from that product. And because I always use real examples, I mean, in the latest product that I put out that people love, which I think is like the new version of Traffic Grab called Own the Race Course, that whole product is a case study of super fast business. It tells people why I set it up. It tells them how I go about doing it, what I actually did, and then it goes behind the scenes and shows stats and analytics. And it's it's so replicatable that now all the members in my community are building their own Own the Race Course thing on their own authority site and putting up their first videos ever and, and getting amazing results. And I've started interviewing them as case studies. But if you show people something real and they can then replicate it, in their own market, that's very satisfying for the product creator. So for the the person that's listening, that's like, you know, James, I'm terrified of anything technical, all those traffic methods I've never heard of or, you know, don't know what they mean or whatever, but I want to get started. I want to, you know, I'm willing to cut out the, the TV or Jerry Springer or the sports on the side or whatever to do this. What direction would you would you take, would you tell them to go as far as, you know, actually getting your 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 hands dirty and doing this yeah it's a great question firstly celebrate the fact that it sounds overwhelming because that'll keep most people away and less competition right Mm -hmm. secondly 
Just start with a WordPress site that you own on a domain that's half reasonable and not keyword spammy. That's going to be your authority center. It's yours. You own that. You control it. Don't build it on Facebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. Put the best content you can possibly put on there without worrying too much about, you know, get rid of all those silly SEO plugins that are going to spam and interlink and, and manipulate it. Just put good quality content with a relevant description and title and pictures. And if you want to read it out and make it a podcast, fantastic. If you can make a video, even better. And then have one primary YouTube channel, one primary iTunes podcast and one primary Facebook page. And every time you do a post, uh, put a YouTube video on it that you put on your YouTube channel. Tell your friends on Facebook that you've made this post. Tweet about it and you'll start to see traffic. Make sure, of course, when they're there that you build a customer list. And then every time you do a post, email your customer list and say, hey, there's a new post there for you, Mike. It's about blah, blah, blah. Put a little thumbnail picture of it and a link. You keep doing that and you're going to have a great authority site. As long as you're relevant and solving some kind of problem, people will appreciate it. Now, what I love about that, first of all, that was that was beautiful how you succinctly put that out. And I agree 110%. But what I love about it is never once did you say you have to get your affiliate links. You have to you know, make a product and charge X amount of dollars for it. It was It was kind of the field of dreams thing. If you build it, they will come. And your customers, if you're constantly looking at, hey, what's a problem that you have? How can I find a solution for you? Then they'll do exactly what you said. And I've had people do it to me a lot too. Is, hey, I'm thinking about buying this. Do you have an affiliate link? You know, or you say, you know, people are saying I need, you know, uh, whatever keywords. You know, I'm running out of things to write about, or I don't know how to optimize my blog. I need more keywords. And, you know, you do the research and you say whether it's Market Samurai or whatever, this is a great solution. And you do it. Pat Flynn does that was actually his uh his first webinar was teaching how to do how to use market samurai and uh I forget how much he made I think he made like 4000 or 5000 just on his first webinar from people buying that trial through there because he gives so much good quality content up front Yeah I mean it it really does work I had a call from someone only 2 days ago they emailed me after I did one of my videos, I did some video about um, you know, seven types of videos you can make to grow your traffic this year. And it's had lots of shares and lots of likes and stuff. And this person's a well-known guru. And she contacted me and said, where can I give you my credit card? I want you to train me. And she wants to join my highest level program. Thought She thought that it was going to cost a year up front. And she was prepared to lay down the credit card and wanted to make sure that she had a spot in the program, which I'm not even opening for another week or two. And I only take a month-to-month commitment anyway. But people want to buy more than even that I'm selling. And that is a result of just watching and watching and watching and building up that trust and seeing beyond any shadow of a doubt that this type of content addresses their challenge. So if I was going to give the smallest piece of advice that I could possibly give to anyone, it would be relevant. Just do that. If you can be relevant to people who have problems and they're prepared to pay for solutions, then that's going to get you a long way down the track. And that's where I think a lot of people fail my inbox test when they're sending crap through the email. 
they're not relevant to me. They're not caring about me. They're not solving my problems. They're creating my problems. So I unsubscribe. So unsubscribe from all these people who just continually bombard you with offer after offer after offer. They're not about solving your problems. They're about solving their problems, and they've got it wrong. Show them they're wrong by unsubscribing. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I've heard you say before, too, and, and I agree with this, and I've heard it from others, you know, watch what they do, not what they say. You know, it's it's just it's 100% true. You know, when you see people sending, you know, totally unrelated things over and over again, you know, two, three times a day or whatever, they're, they're not doing all those things. They're not, <laughs> you know, uh, running the, all these different programs and, and working all these different strategies or techniques. They're an affiliate marketer, and they're just trying to sell as much as they can until you get off their list. An important thing is there is a big difference between strategy and tactics. A lot of the things mm-hmm. they send are tactics, you know, a magic push this or a, a hack or a backdoor or a loophole. It's mostly BS. You're not going to build a decent business off some one-time tactics. You need an overarching strategy that is sound and sustainable that will get you where you want to go. And that's why products like mine that teach strategy and then have tactical modules that show you how to put it all together are going to get you further down the track because... It's not going to get you. On, it's not going to get you banned from something. It's not going to work once and then stop working when everyone finds out about it. It's good to learn to avoid these little tactical hacks and tricks because they're not going to get you the result that you want at the end. They're like eating a Mars bar and getting a sugar rush. You think you've got nutrient. You think you've got energy, and then you have a big, ugh, you know, energy yeah, sap crash. when your body just has that blood glucose imbalance, and it's like, okay, give me something else <laughs> you're like hey, i just fed you <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's funny you know uh when i first uh start coaching with anybody uh i hear it over and over and over again from people you know i've got this information overload i've got shiny object syndrome and you know i i think that one of your gifts is what we were talking about before which is your ability to like you said have an overarching plan that you can stick with that's solid what do you do to, to kind of, first of all, how do, how do you initially sit down and say, this is what I'm going to focus on? Because, like, for instance, with traffic, there's, you know, a gazillion different ways to drive traffic, and, you know, most of them will work. What do you, what do, you do in your decision-making process to say, you know what, these are the four I'm going to work with? Well, typically I'll start 10, and then I'll track and measure everything and throw away the stuff that doesn't work, much like the statue of David from the block of marble. So start with more and then whittle it down to what works. So if you wanted to tap into the big four, you'd say, well, I'm going to have my own site, then I really need to be on Facebook, I really need to be on YouTube, I'll probably want to tweet my posts, I might Google Plus them. That's not onerous. So think about what is the traffic technique that is going to work for you do you like to write articles well just be a blogger are you happy making videos that's awesome if you can because now you can really harness youtube which is the third biggest website on the planet and the second biggest search engine if you can make videos you've got a big advantage and i've just popped out about 200 videos in a row in the last nine months that is just going gangbusters for me and you can strip out the audio and turn it into a podcast and get yourself on iTunes. So for me, I see what's working. I measure it all. 
I pick the highest result ones. And for me, the high impact ones are clearly my email list, my fan page on Facebook, my, my own site, and YouTube and iTunes. They're the big ones for me. So I'm just committing to doing that. And every time I put out a new site, I'll activate those channels. And the other thing is I'm really not trying to put out new sites very often anymore. Although I've just started a new podcast for Mindset, I'm keeping the minimum possible properties but tapping into the maximum possible areas of opportunity for me. And so for me, that super fast business has become the sole destination for the majority of my effort, but I'm tapping into the big traffic channels and they're growing at a rapid rate. So I, I got to ask, what's the uh, the new podcast that you're starting on your mindset? Uh, it's called thinkactget.com. And the basis of that is this whole idea that whatever you think about determines how you act, which will result in what you get. So if you're putting crappy ideas into your head and you're thinking about negative thoughts and you're watching television and giving yourself candy in your brain, then the way you act is not going to be that great and the results you get aren't going to be that good. But if you're thinking positively and you're thinking proactively and you're ingesting good information, that will change your behavior so that you're acting in a better way and the results you get will be better. Fantastic. That's great. That's great. What a what a great uh, segment from where we started to where we ended with, uh, you know, you have a mindset podcast and that was the topic for tonight. <laughs> I remember uh, you were talking about... Uh, Somebody had said something like, I'm jealous that you have, a, I don't know, an iPhone or an iPad. Oh, they say it all the time. Or Whatever I do. And, I might be traveling Europe. You, said, or- you know, you, you got to be careful about the words that come out of your mouth because they go right into your ears. Mm. And I, I, I see people do this all the time, whether it's they say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm stupid, I shouldn't have done that. And it's like, don't, don't say that. Say, you know, I'm getting better at this or I'm not an expert at this yet, but I'm on my way. It, it's 100% true. Gosh, you can even drill one level deeper than that and say that mm-hmm. it's not positive to say don't say that <laughs> because we can't process negatives. It's even better to word things on, on like explain yeah, something. Said, and then, a, a better way to handle it would be. Yeah, well, just identify when you say that, you're reinforcing that idea. And a more productive way to say this is to talk to yourself about where you're at in the progress. Say that... Currently, it's something that is challenging you and you're looking forward to the day that you're able to do this competently. And here's what I'm doing to make sure that I'm able to do that. You know, I'm getting these, this book or this instructor or I'm working at this daily until I master it. That's great. That's great. Looking forward to the day that I do this competently. What a fantastic statement. So uh, do you, uh, I, I know you've obviously heard of it, but do you believe in the school of recording yourself saying positive things and listening to it? No. <laughs> uh, I, I'm more instantaneous than well, that. What's funny uh, is you, you put out so much content, which is all positive. You're hearing yourself all day long anyway, right? Well, I'm aware of my self-talk. We have that inner dialogue, and I will correct my own language, and so does my wife and my kids. My kids know this stuff. So from the time they were born, they've had different language patterns installed in them than the average kid. They don't get the wives' tales and, you know, 
turn out, you know, don't get out of bed because the boogeyman's underneath the bed and he'll get you. Stay in bed, kids. You know, the, the, all these little negative wives' tales that parents teach their children to get the behavior they want. My kids right. didn't get exposed to that stuff. They, right. they, you know, so that I guess they're they're more fearless. You know, my my little girl, she jumps horses. These seven hundred fifty kilogram beasts. She she jumps uh, a meter. Probably none of these measurements mean anything to you. I have to put it in your terms, but. <laughs> I know, it's, I know what you're saying. It's around it's 2,000 pounds. And, yeah, the uh, weight of a car, high, right? weight of a small car, jumping uh, three or four feet. And she's only 15, but she's fearless. And she, she just tackles these challenges because she's come from a, a different upbringing that if someone out there is doing it, and if, if an Olympian or a Grand Prix jumper is jumping 1.7 meters, surely she could jump one meter or 1.2 right. because that's right. not even close to the maximum that people can do and have done before so she might as well work her way up to it and she took this horse that couldn't jump you know like a few inches it was scared of jumping and she's trained it now to to jump three or four feet and uh you know this this is a good thing to have when you're a kid and to not even have to reinstall the software like i did as a young adult and many of your listeners are going through that process and as they're processing their stuff they probably get some kind of resistance or kickback they might have a yeah but reaction yeah but it's easy for you because and all these cop-out things well they might say you know i'll think about it or i'll try it or maybe these are all cop-out words we need to go straight for the jugular just do it (laughs) that's awesome so, James, I, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, for all my readers and obviously for myself as well to, to share so much good stuff. And you've been uh, been very generous. And I, I just I love the abundant mentality that you have of, you know, give, give, give. And you, you're never going to be, uh, you know, regretting being a generous person. Um, do you have any last uh, last uh, words or thoughts or tips for anybody that just on this topic of mindset that you'd like to share before we wrap things up? I'll give one technique. It's a topic that I recorded today for my own customers. And this is for that occasional time when you feel a little bit overwhelmed and there's a lot going on and there's more coming in than you can process. Just stop everything. Pull up the biggest whiteboard you can find or a huge sheet of paper and just write everything out of your head onto it and put a little section somewhere to the right or to the side that's in a clear space and just bring across the one thing from that entire mess you've just created that you need to work on right now and just focus on doing that, just one thing. Just keep it that simple. The rest can wait. As soon as you start with that one thing, you've got a single point of focus. Everything becomes easier. And when you cross that one off, go and pick another one from the board. And as ideas keep generating or coming up, just throw them on the junky side of the board and each time you achieve that one thing, go and pick another one. That's awesome. I was listening to uh, an interview with uh, Mike Filsane and he was talking about, uh, he was consulting with Rich Sheffrin and talking about a strategy and Rich says, well, just do that. And he said, Rich, if I'd, I'd be a billionaire instead of a millionaire if I did everything I know how to do. You know, <laughs> The idea is like if you're walking around and there's bars of gold or diamonds or 20s or hundreds or 50s or singles or you know pennies nickels dimes on the ground 
what are you going to focus on? And by focusing on the most important pressing things, you know, there's always still going to be things left, whether there are things like you're talking about on the board that are stressful or things that are positive towards your business. But just by saying, you know what, I, I can't do it all. So I'm just going to take a breath. I'm going to relax. I'm going to say, what am I going to focus on right now? And just stay focused on that. You end up with so much more peace and being so much more productive than people that just get locked up looking at all the junk. We'll give you another metaphor like that. It's imagine you're hungry and you want to cook yourself a meal. So you go down to the local supermarket with a shopping trolley or a little hand basket. How many items are in that shopping center? Like millions. Now, if you don't know what you want to eat, it's kind of challenging. Well, you probably start stuffing your thing with chips and Mars bars and soft drink. Your, your blood sugar's craving this stuff. But if you know you want to cook a particular meal, let's say you want to cook a pasta meal, you can go straight for the pasta aisle, grab the pasta, grab some tomatoes, grab some garlic, and go to the checkout. It's like three items and you're out. Easy. And you can ignore everything else because you just focus on that single goal of making the next meal and you know what it is and it's clear and you can just block everything else out. So we have unlimited choices. We have to just filter and focus on the next thing that's important for us right now. That's awesome. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate, uh, like I said, you spending the time and just sharing so much and sharing so much with your sites and your podcasts. And uh, I'm, I'm, I never stop being amazed at how much you're doing. And uh, it's really just been great to sit down and finally talk with you and, and pick your brain a little bit. And I, I love that you just started a, a podcast on the topic that we were talking about. Um, for the people that are listening to this that um, maybe aren't familiar with James, other than superfastbusiness.com, uh, can you tell us some of the other sites that you'd recommend people to check out? Oh, uh, well... Superfastbusiness.com is is the center of the universe right now. <laughs> There's a, an interesting internet marketing podcast called Freedom Ocean. I think you referenced right. there. And that one's kind of fun. We talk about things like this, but I have a co-host who's very funny. He asks crazy questions and I answer all of them. <laughs> so that would be a fun place to go and check out, I think. Sure, Timbo. Timbo. <laughs> oh, there's only ever going to be one Timbo. Right, awesome. Well, uh, well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. It's been so much fun. And uh, uh, please go to, uh, when you're listening to this, when you're done listening to this, please go to uh, mikespodcast.com and leave a comment on there. And uh, if you get a chance to visit superfastbusiness.com and leave a comment on there for James and uh, for sure sign up and join his newsletter. He's uh, one of the good guys out there. So, uh, James, thanks again. Appreciate it. And uh, have a great rest of the day now. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Internet Marketing Podcast. Please tell a friend to check out mikespodcast.com.